When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Writer's Room, where funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny words for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, me, Jeff Cesario. I'm talking with uh, the great and funny Ed Yeager. Uh, this, of course, is the Writer's Room. Uh, and uh, let's talk the later years of your career. As you begin to get momentum, you begin to get traction. You launch off a couple of these shows like Roseanne, like uh, Dharma and Greg, and you hit some stride. You hit a stride. You start doing things like Gary Unmarried, which was your baby, or Last Man Standing, yeah. which which really lasted a, a really long time. You know, it I did. Mean, that was a great, great time. That was seven years. And man, if you can stretch... Some people don't get seven years in writing. Right. And I, I got that at all on one show. And uh Did you think that was gonna happen? You get Last Man Standing, which is which is Tim Allen. Yes. At a period of time when it, even back then, you know, politically it was like, can we afford what network is gonna put on a show with a guy who's just got a little more of a curmudgeon, a little more of a uh an older school feel to his attitude to the character of uh, to the attitude of the character. And yet they took a chance and, and it, and it worked. What do you think in that first few episodes? Are you thinking, well, make it. I was not there. I was, um, they had a whole different writing staff for the, the first season. The first season came out and they somehow got through it, but, uh, it 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 wasn't a it wasn't an easy season from what I understand I wasn't there so um, ABC still wants was it ABC then yeah we went from ABC to Fox ABC still really believes in Tim Allen and they want the show to have a second season so they brought in uh, brand new showrunners they brought in uh, Tim Doyle who I knew from um, Roseanne and other things and Tim wanted to bring in. Uh, all of the a lot of Roseanne writers. He brought in Sid and Miriam, right. and Sid Youngers, and yeah. Matt. Uh, so, great. and he had really had to fight for that. The uh, ABC didn't want all these old uh, unsexy names, but Tim insisted. So he brings in all these old writers and pads the the the, the staff out. And Tim was really great with Tim Allen. Um, and you know they gave us the second season, and the second season ironed out a lot of the wrinkles from the first season. And um, again, I'm just kind of sitting back, enjoying the gig and mostly being the joke guy. The uh, the I had a joke room, <laughs> which, you know. Oh, wow. So they separated out the joke guys and put them in. And by guys, we always mean men, women, whoever they've hired. They they separate out a few joke writers and you guys are just in a room. Yeah. Well, a lot of shows, a lot of, you know, a lot of sitcoms that had the money to do that would have a separate joke room. Now you you know you had all the um, 
you had to do the same stuff that all the other writers did. You had to read the scripts and comment the scripts and go to the story meetings and the run-throughs and all that stuff. But when you get back from the run-through, the joke room gathers and you just you beat you just start beating the jokes that didn't work. The other room is working on the story. What do we need to do to shore up the story? Well, the joke room is okay, this didn't work, let's do some alts. This didn't work, let's do some alts. And then you just send them in. So the main room that's rewriting the script gets this uh, this fresh pages of jokes and they just pick and choose. And uh, it was the coolest job on the staff because writing jokes is more fun than writing story. <laughs> and uh, and my, room had, a, it, my yeah. room had a tiki bar. And uh, oh, that's great. You know, there was a liberal uh, have a cocktail policy anytime you felt like it. Um, so it, that's that's how that worked. Except then, then comes the freaking pandemic. So it worked well. <laughs> You've got a tiki bar and a cocktail anytime policy. I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. sure. Yes, uh, and yeah, I could write in that room. <laughs> right. If if anybody walks into the room with a with a coffee cup after four o'clock, it doesn't have coffee in it. That's that's <laughs> that's how I work. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but. Um, then the pandemic comes and then the TV just goes haywire and everything gets shut down. And when it reopens, it's it's with all of this compliance stuff. Every every very few people are allowed on the stage. No audiences. If you're mm -hmm. on the stage, you have to have a mask and a shield. You can't cross the line to talk to the actors. Uh, it was so hard to do that. And, and then all the writers are now suddenly on Zoom like we're doing right now. So you have your writing staff on your computer as you're at home doing the joke room work or any of the work and just sending it in. It was it was so hard. And then I had to be on the stage. My job was to be that year on the stage. So I was the one writer on the stage. Uh, and normally, you know, through run-throughs and whatnot, all the writers would be done. But right. I was the one guy that had to, like, and deal with scrap respects that might sound cool um but the reality is at any time a single word or a half a word doesn't add up to an actor or a producer or a director on set they're turning to you and you only because yes. you are the writer you're the the lightning rod now and yes. so it's literally didn't work Send me more. <laughs> and you're, yeah. you're standing there in a mask and a welder's uh, visor. Right. <laughs> you're like, what happened? What happened? And more often than not, that was Tim Allen, and he was upset about a joke or something. And he would, uh, when he was upset, you knew he was upset, and so you had to come up with. Not only did you had to calm down the star, but you had to give him some material that he was willing to to perform. So. Yeah, that was a hard and, and that's a job uh, that normally could have been split probably between three people. Somebody takes off, somebody who the star, in this case, Tim, really responds to uh, sort of viscerally, yeah. kind of right. takes him, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll get, we'll get the guys working on it. Here's what we need to do. There's another thing we got to work on. And, and it's kind of takes that energy in a different direction. Then there's at least two other writers there who go, okay, 
you guys work on this joke. We're going to work on this story beat to see if we can correct it from that standpoint. And somebody else, you guys just start work, just start banging right. joke. So at least you feel like it's a battalion taking on the job. Right. And that's, you know, that's part of the fun of, of, of multicams is that you did have on show night, you would be down there on the stage and a joke that has worked all week suddenly doesn't work in front of the audience. And, you know, it's just the, the head writer turns to the, all the writers and just said, you know, do this. So everybody huddles up and scribbles on their scripts. And then you stand around and you pitch jokes to the star until he laughs at one of them. And then, and then you've, you know, you breathe a sigh of relief, but that's, that was kind of like that. That was the task, but that was also the fun. Cause you know, yeah, what's you... that like really when that showrunner turns around and goes, and you know, it's coming cause you hear the clink of the yeah. dead air with the joke. And so, you know, it's coming. He turns around and goes, get busy, boys, in the back. Right. Does that energize you? Is it fear-inducing? <laughs> Is it both? It's both. But, you know, I, at, at that point, I've been at it so long. I'm going to do I'm going to do my best. I'm going to I'm going to write what I think is the best thing that could come out of my head. And that's really the best you could do. A younger version of myself would I'd be I would still be upset weeks later that I didn't come up with the joke. Right, right. <laughs> but like, maturity kind of gives you, ah, oh, what the heck? This is what I'm going to offer. Hopefully, it's good enough. And then yeah. uh, in your head, you're thinking, I'm going to cut. When I do, when I, when I go into, when I edit this show, I'm going to cut this run anyway, so we don't have to worry. About it. <laughs> uh, so the advantage of climbing the ladder is you have control of other aspects of the show where you know, oh, this seems probably not going to make it anyway, even if we right. have a great joke here. Well, I don't. You know, t- I, I look, I, I. I think the world of Tim Allen, he's such a capable dude and such a star, but there were many times where he was, he was in my face about a line and I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm cutting this whole run. This whole page is toast. So, <laughs> but, you know, but Tim had this quality and, you know, you, the, the thing that's much harder than being a showrunner is being the star of a show, star of a sitcom where you have to be so many things to have that kind of confidence uh, and that kind of uh, swagger to, to be the star of a, a sitcom. And a lot of them, when the, when the time comes and they get their own show, they just, they fall to pieces. We've seen so many, that happened to so many people because it's just way too much responsibility. And on top of it, you're world famous. You can't go to Rite Aid and get a six pack of beer because people are going to take your picture and want your autograph. Um, you have to trust that internal compass when you're that person so strongly when it comes to yeah. comedy that uh, it's tough to even imagine, even when uh, like us ourselves are performers, even when you've done something at that level, uh, it is amazing to, to, to see someone who has literally a sixth gear where they just go, nope, this is funnier. We're doing it this way. And then knowing they may not be right, but knowing they're going to take the shot because at that point, the decision is more important. The confidence is more important. Then you ram it through and that begins to massage even more that, no, I know what's funny. And then and then the whole thing with luck kind of takes off and they right. become superstar. Right. Or you get a guy like I, I, I'm still using the example of Tim Allen that he, you know, when he was really, really on it, he could just do a look 
during a joke and that look would get a bigger laugh than the punchline right right and that's the skill of being a star that is that you have that that's a part of your instrument and you can pull that out anytime you need it yeah right for wordsmiths like us for for guys who just go into the uh cooper's table and just start tinkering on the words it's it's a great lesson to learn. And I was fortunate enough to learn it early and you may have as well. I learned it from Louie. You may have from Roseanne, Louie Anderson and Roseanne Barr were two of two of the best examples. And we were fortunate enough to work with them early in our careers of people who knew how to get a laugh without a word, sometimes with, with barely a look it, right. it was it's really a stunning skill to have inherent and then to uh parlay that and work on it when you're a young stand-up. I mean, yeah. I would I would I would rail at Louis sometimes in the clubs and he would just howl in laughter because I would go, I worked on a joke for four days, just the one joke, and it got medium response and somebody dropped a glass in the club and you raised your eyebrow in such a way everybody knew what you meant and you blew the doors off the joint. It was such a great lesson. Right. Or Louis would just, Louis would just put a pause. He would have a punchline that was okay, but he would pause at a place in the punchline that made the joke. And you'd, you know, as a young comic, you'd be going, wow, that's all you have to do is just pause for a punchline to work. And, and then, then he realized it. it's as it much work, work as as writing the joke to to find the right place to put that pause, <laughs> to know how long that pause should be. And then to literally, I remember Louis would go on with very little organized material sometimes because he was one of the few people, a lot of people say they can write on stage. Uh, not many people can actually do that. <laughs> he was one of the few who could. He would take out premises and he would feel them out. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he would find lines and he would pull lines and he would record the whole thing and then go back and out of a 20 minute set, he had two minutes. But yeah, yeah, to 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 use that time then to rehearse the pauses, the looks, to try different things physically. It, it was amazing to see that because I thought it was just words and it ain't. And, and no. you're right. The people who have, that's why sometimes you go, how did Brett Butler get a series? And you look at it and you go, that's how she just had, there was an energy about her and a command of certain things and yet a vulnerability. It's, 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 it's an alchemy that. Yeah. Uh, well, that, Brett's a perfect on. example of she, you know, I worked, I did stand up with her uh, before as she was getting famous and she, her stand up was terrific. It was just great. It was funny and woeful and, and and sweet and then she gets her show and her show is really good but then eventually it kind of it wore her down and you know it kind of like ended up ending the show but but she was she was sensational as a comic and uh you know louie and all you guys from minnesota it might have been because of dudley and because of the improv but you all had really defined characters on stage you did louie did uh alex cole did yeah they the, you Bauer. had this, you just, yeah. you, the personality was so developed. And, uh, you know, again, where a lot of us are watching that going, wow, 
this is more than just somebody telling funny stuff. This is a guy that ha- that is that is doing a character that really, really works. You know, that's interesting. Uh, so now, talk to me about uh, Gary Unmarried. This is a show that y- you created, correct? I did. In fact, this is my favorite story of of my uh, career. Uh, I uh, a friend of mine was going through a divorce, and he was going through a, a pretty awful divorce, and he was just a, a shell of a guy, and. And he uh, he was going through this bad divorce and he started dating a girl and he said, I'm afraid I don't want to date. I don't want to do this. And I said, why? And he goes, I, I, I don't want to fall in love again. And I thought, that is a shit. That's a pretty that's a damn good pilot. So I go to my agents. So now what say, bar are you at where he's pouring his soul out to you and the back of your head goes, hey, this could be a show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, any one of our friends or family is, is subject to having a show written about them. That's but true. He, uh, but I went to my, I was with CAA at the time and I go to CAA and I said, here's the, here's the, here's what I want to pitch. I want to pitch the story about this guy who's going through a divorce. And they said, absolutely not. Nobody is going to want, is, is going to allow you to come in and pitch about a divorce. It's dead in the water. So I wrote it anyway. I wrote this spec uh, at the time, it was called Right Back At You. It was about this about this terrible divorce. And instead of giving it to my agents, I gave it right to ABC. I gave it to people. By that time, I knew I had met some executives here and there, and I gave it right to them. I Are you conscious at this moment that this could be trouble? Yes. Okay. And I'm and I'm <laughs> and what happened was even better than I give it to ABC. ABC loves it. Um, uh, a couple of people at ABC really, really liked it. And they passed it around internally. And they, and I got a call from my agent one day saying, um, did you give a script to ABC? And I said, yes, I did. And they go, well, they want to buy it. <laughs> like, <laughs> woo! <laughs> the script wow. that they said they didn't want anything to do with, I, I distributed and sold it. And my agency gets to come along for the ride. <laughs> Because I didn't listen to them, and right. to their credit, they 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 knew the they knew what they had did wrong. They knew they should have been more open to it. But it was such a victory to to get something done in L.A. without having to go through your agency. Wow. <laughs> um, so you get Gary unmarried on the air, and and uh, it stars Jay Moore, who yes. another fascinating guy at the center of a show. Mercurial, mercurial issues. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. different. Yeah, hard. It was so many things went wrong on that show, which is too bad because it sure started off great. Um, Yeah, it was me running a room, and I was kind of a a lot of the writing staff was kind of forced on me, and um, (laughs) and uh, you know the the my executives. It was like this. I I had waited my whole life to be a showrunner, Jeff. I finally get to be a showrunner. And uh, I was I had observed some of the great, great showrunners I had worked with. Kevin Abbott, and Tim Doyle, and um, oh, good Lord, there's so many. Every show I worked on had a great showrunner. And I found that, that, that showrunners, that if they stand up for themselves and push back, oftentimes they're rewarded for that. So I was told we had somebody on our show that was just beloved beloved actor but he was testing poorly and so this the network said write him out of the show we don't want him anymore and i said no i said i'm not going to do that trying to emulate what i had seen right you know confident showrunners do i said no and i got fired (laughs) from my show 
Uh, so that's just, that's happened to me my whole life. This. <laughs> oh my God. So for every you try to time, do something you see other people do and you yes. fail miserably doing but it. But it's, imp- I think it is important to say, especially on a show called the writer's room, that for every time you hear that anecdote on a talk show, uh, the uh, Phil Rosenthal standing up to the network or Larry David standing up to the network. Um, there are probably 20 examples of other showrunners who did it and either got fired or got their wings clipped or, you know, got truncated the next show they tried to go on or got politicized right, sure. in the corner or had to fight their way back from it. You know, it works some of the time. It works some of the time. And, but but and there's this, there's the this, you can say like, for it. it was like, look, we have to put up with this from Chuck Lorre. We do not have to put up with this from Red Yeti. Pack your tiki bar and get, and get the hell out. <laughs> Hook that up to the back of your, your Mercedes and just leave, please. <laughs> we were fired. We, you know, we were doing just fine on Last Man Standing. And then um, ABC had a new head all of a sudden. And who didn't like Last Man Standing and canceled the show on an upfront. It was upfronts week. Everybody was anticipating that we were going to come back and we were going to have another dandy year. And then we get fired at the at the very last second. The show gets doesn't get picked up, and we were all, "What happened?" But it was off the air, and I had to go and I had this tiki bar and I had Jeff. I had like I had to rent a van to get all my office garbage in it. And I remember I've, I've got this tiki bar on a dolly and I'm, I'm going down the stairs, building five with this giant tiki bar. As the writers from the, the show that's taking over our offices are, are bouncing up the stairs so giddy and happy that their show's on the air. And I just, I'm like, you know, just, just be, don't count on anything, kids. Don't count on anything. That sucks. And then a year later, Fox picks up Last Man Standing. So we had this odd year off. And then um, and then we're back on the air on Fox for two or three seasons. That was very strange. What are you, you working on? Are you doing anything? What am I doing right now? Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'll be striking later today at Disney. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Matt, Matt Berry is picking me up. We're going to drive down and strike. Uh, I pick it. Uh, and uh, I th- might have sold an animated show right after the strike. Uh, I, I I pitched a show before the strike. And right after the strike, I got a call from my agent that they are really interested. And they they are they are going to buy it. But they know we can't have any more conversations about it until strike. Right. So right. it's kind of like, oh, all right. I, I guess that's good news. Um, that's great news. And knock on wood, they'll still be of the mindset when the strike ends yeah, things will still be adding up. Right. Uh, and, and it would be a, a blast to work on. I've never done animation before, but I'm looking forward to it. It's, I like learning new shit. Yeah. Um, oh my God. That's very thrill comedy. I'm guessing. Yes. Comedy in the vein of, uh, of uh, the, it's the Sopranos meets uh, arrested development, believe it or not. It's something like that. And it's set in the future in a casino. So that's great. So that's it. Um, but we'll see. Right, right now it's about going down and making people honk their horn outside of people's offices. Uh, yeah, exactly. To, to, uh, well, and for, and for good reason. 
as we've alluded to a couple of times through this conversation, uh, salaries for writers have bottomed out. You yeah. know, we're in a market now where I uh, mentioned this a couple of times, but it's it's uh, important. I was talking to a young writer who was at Netflix and she said, you know, we went from, uh, oh, what show are you on? I asked in the old vein. And right. she said, well, I worked on this for a while and then I worked on this for a while and then I worked on this for a while and then I worked on this for a while. And I went like over five years. And she said, no, just last year. So they're yeah. now taking, I need a lefty out of the bullpen. You two innings on this show, you know, three innings right. on this show. And it's like, crazy and oh it's even worse they're they're doing it's it's criminal what they're trying to get away with like hiring four writers for 10 weeks to write 13 episodes at the end of the 10 weeks goodbye here's your last paycheck and then they shoot the 13 episodes without those writers involved in the shooting of it and so one of the things we're striking for is shows can that uh, network studios can no longer do that they have to hire the writers not only for their pre-production writing but they need to keep them all the way through production which only makes sense and you know it turns it into a longer job plus you need those writers because everything gets rewritten all the time yeah you know you you can't expect to write a show in june and and film it verbatim in november that just doesn't work it's it's gonna need rewrites um so I, I think they know that, but they've been they've been doing a very good job of of streamlining the need for writers. Uh, but you know, hopefully, a bunch of people waving pickets will change their minds. Well, and hopefully, economically, the bottom line will begin to get affected not just from the strike, but uh, by the simple reality that, despite the fact there are so many more platforms for shows, what's really sticking out? Are we are we are they batting a higher average? I think they're batting a lower average. I think their average is worse despite so many platforms. I know. Getting shows where people go, you gotta watch that, you gotta watch this. This is unbelievable. You gotta the content is not pushing itself through. No. And I think someone's gotta go, okay, look, this is gonna affect the bottom line at some point. We gotta put better crap on the network. We want people to stick around. And when that starts to get traction as well, then then you'll see them come running to the table. Yeah. And they always say we, you know, they, they always pretend that they really want multicams. And they say it every year. No, no, no. We believe in multicams. As opposed to they? the hipster single cam uh, yeah. that everybody's doing. And that works in its own lane, in its own environment for sitcoms. Yeah. But you know they the multicam the classic old at, stage sitcoms they say they want them and what then you go pitch them and what happens the, well they ultimately don't do them and and they just do less and less comedy i mean cbs yeah. cbs picked up one comedy for next season one and cbs wow. used to be and i think still is like the the last resting place of multicams um but uh, who knows? Maybe the strike will will change lots of things. But but you're right. We need some some half hour comedies that really really explode and that everybody is talking about. And there haven't been many of those. No, know? no. And and I think they're going to realize it, and they'll realize it when investors start to go. Hmm. 
this business model looks like looks like it's about to change. <laughs> no, 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 wait. Yeah, <laughs> we'll come up with better stuff. <laughs> you know, no, but I, they'll find I, they'll find that if they decide if they d- decide to reinvest in 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 writers and creating, it will pay dividends. Uh, they have to be reminded of that every three years, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, they, we'll see. I don't know. Till then. Well, knock on wood. Uh, the strike will end. You're a crazy funny sounding animated project uh, will happen. Uh, Ed Yeager, we've just scratched the surface. So we're going to do this again because there's a two, I didn't even get to your worst gig, your worst showrunner uh, without naming names. I didn't even get to so many fun things that uh, we'll do once again, but uh, great catching up with you. And uh, thanks for coming on to writer's room. Ed. Lovely seeing you, Jeff. And uh, let's go hang out sometime and, and be we'll two old men at a coffee shop. Perfect. Let's do that. Sounds better than picketing. Okay, buddy. All right. Talk to you soon. You got it. Bye.